bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be discussing the source of our faith or the source of scriptural faith. But before we go into that discussion today, let's do a brief recap of what we've been looking at thus far on faith towards God. We had defined faith as the confident assurance that we have that what God says will happen will surely happen, regardless of things that may be happening to the contrary. We said that it is the certainty or the conviction that we have that the unseen spiritual world actually exists. It's the confidence that we have that there indeed is a God, that there are indeed angels, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that there are demons. And there is Satan. It's the confident assurance, the conviction that we have that God is all-powerful and has put Satan in his place and that he has a plan for man. That is what faith is about. Scriptural faith must be towards God. Otherwise, it is secular. And if your faith is secular, you will be disappointed. You may not even be disappointed here on earth, but ultimately when you leave this world, you'll be disappointed because you will find yourself in a place that you ought not to be had you believed in God in the first place. We must therefore go to God in faith. We must go to God with the confidence that even though we don't see him, we know he exists and that what we have read about him and what he has said about himself is true and is the truth. We not only go to God in faith, we must grow in faith towards God. And so we ask the question, why should we go to God in faith? Why should we grow in faith towards God? We noted that first and foremost, God is the one that formed the world that we are in and all that therein is, including yourself, including myself. If nothing at all, we should trust such a person. Secondly, he is the one who offered his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the price of sin, which is death, on our account because of our sin, a sinless one dying for those who have sinned. We also noted that it is by faith that we are approved by God. Not by what we have done or have not done, but by believing in God. The Bible says Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. We also know that putting our trust in anything else or in anyone else is tantamount to lining up oneself for eternal disappointment, for eternal death. So for those reasons, we ought to have faith in God. We ought to grow in faith towards God. Then we ask the next question, how do we grow in faith towards God? In answering that, we noted that we can begin by hearing about what God has done in other circumstances from other people, as was the case of Rahab. She heard what God had done when Israel left Egypt, even before she was born. And then she heard about the dealings of God in the lives of the people in their wilderness wanderings. By the time Israel crossed over the Jordan, she noted that she knows that God will give them that land. She had heard about God and she believed. Her faith had been bolstered by the things that she had been hearing. That is how faith grows in us as we go to God. Another way by which we grow incrementally in our faith towards God is by having fellowship with those who have had first-hand experience with God. I'm not speaking of people who have heard and are speaking. No, people who have had first-hand experience with God. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, he said, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled, 
with our hands of the word of life is the one we are speaking about so that your joy can be full. We can have fellowship with you. And indeed, our fellowship is not just with ourselves, but also with this one in our midst. Your faith begins to grow as you come in contact with people who have had first-hand experience with God. Then you also grow in faith as you begin to have your own first-hand experience with God. The very first of the first-hand experiences that you have with God is your eternal salvation. The day you got born again, the day you came to Christ, something happened in you. And you know it was not happenstance. It was not something that merely happened because the thing could happen. It was God at work in your life. When you recount your salvation experience, it should bring you to grow in faith towards God, knowing that you did not get saved by the machinations of men. We also noted that we need to remember and recount the dealings of God in our lives. That way, we grow in faith as we recount how God has been faithful, how God has been good, how God has been kind to us. We recited the hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Finally, we noted that we need to get intimate. We need to know God personally. You can hear about God. You can experience God through the experiences of other people. But you need to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. It is relationship that is the issue. And you need to have it with God. We need to have a personal knowledge of God. Not just hearsay. Not just knowing about. But knowing Him for who He is. When we read the pages of the Bible, we encounter a God who is good who is kind, who is merciful, yet cannot but judge and judge aright. We encounter a God who does not delight in the death of any man. We encounter a God who does not suffer fools. We encounter a God who is so patient that even when he sees people denigrating his name, misbehaving in the church, he gives them a second chance. These are what we call the shield of faith. When Satan brings his attacks against us, we're able to use these things to show up our faith against him. We remember what God had done in time past as recorded in the Bible. We remember those who have had first-hand experience about God and how they tutored us, how they mentored us. We remember how God himself was faithful in our lives. We remember the one-on-one -on -one interactions with God, his word, and we begin to speak his word and we repel those attacks from Satan. And mark you, nobody can be excused from such attacks. Because even the Lord Jesus Christ was attacked at every turn by Satan. But he overcame. Why? Because he trusted in his father. It is the same trust that we must develop and grow in. We concluded by noting that faith toward God implies that we have faith in no one else, including ourselves. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You don't understand anything. Stop trying to lean on your own understanding. Put your trust firmly in God. Faith toward God implies that we are to have faith in no man. Not our general overseer, not our pastor. And that is not to denigrate those offices. When we become believers... We may be fed as newly born babes at the outset. But as we grow into maturity, we must get to the place where even when our general overseer or senior pastor or bishop or archbishop speaks to us, we go and hear from God and hear what God is saying. We share the story of the young man of God whom God sent from Judah to go and prophesy against the altar in 1 Kings chapter 13, the altar of Jeroboam's idolatry and how Jeroboam tried to attack the guy and Jeroboam's hand just stuck there until the boy prayed. 
and the hand withdrew. And when Jeroboam tried to get the boy to get the boy, said, no, 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 God told me to leave this place. I'm not to eat anything. I'm not to... And the boy was on his way. Then the children of one old prophet who was in Israel, whom God did not send, came to tell their father, we saw something today. The man said, where did this guy go? He chased after the boy and lied and deceived the boy to return that God told him to bring the boy back so that the boy can eat. The boy went back believing that this is a man of God. And that was how he lost his life. So we are saying, before you accept that what a man of God has said is of God, find out from God. Let's move on to the discussion we have today. The source of scriptural faith. Where does faith come from? For that, let's go to the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. In verse 9 it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace, through faith. And it says it, that salvation, that grace, and that faith, they are gifts of God. Your salvation is a gift. The grace that brought that salvation to you is a gift. And the faith that made you believe unto salvation is a gift from God. He says that no man should boast. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to mankind through faith. Believe. says all those who believe through faith. So the gift of faith is from God. Faith itself that brings us to salvation came from God. In John chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or power or privilege to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. He came to his own. They did not receive him. They did not welcome him. They did not take him in. They rejected him. But as many as received him. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is that gift of salvation. When a gift is given to you, unless you don't understand the value of the gift, you just say, oh, keep it there. If you value that gift, you will take it and put it in your pocket. Many wedding receptions, when people are bringing their big gifts, they just put them to one side. But when the gift is an envelope, you see the bride or the groom, they grab it and put it in their pocket because they know it's either a check or cash inside the envelope. They don't leave it lying around. Why? They value it. They receive that gift. In the same way, when the gift of faith is given to us, we must receive it. Otherwise, we will lose the very essence of that faith, of what faith is supposed to do in our lives, which is the salvation, bringing salvation, deliverance, and many other things that God has in store for his people. So salvation came by grace through faith. And it is not anything that anybody works for. It is a gift that God gives. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you go to verse 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Note, the faith that enables us to believe unto salvation. In verse 17, we are told, comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we're going to elaborate more on this because this is the crucial aspect of the source of faith. We receive the word of God into our hearts. 
it stirs up conviction, which is faith. So the gift of faith comes along with the word of faith. And then it stirs up conviction in our hearts. On the basis of my conviction, I now make a confession. And through that confession, I arrive at a conversion. Now, there are two syllables, as it were, or rather a prefix and a suffix and a middle word in these three words I've just used now. Conviction, confession, and conversion. The prefix con means with or thoroughly. In this particular aspect, it means thoroughly. The jon, I-O-N, is the suffix, means is a state or a process. So when we talk of conviction, that word vincer has to do with one that is conquered, one that has been conquered by a superior argument and has given up or relinquished every right to any other argument. He has been totally or thoroughly convicted. He has been thoroughly overcome. He has been thoroughly conquered by a superior argument. So we're talking of a state in which a person arrives at and has been thoroughly conquered by the argument or the discussion that he is a sinner, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, and that he needs to have Christ in his life so that he can be saved. That is conviction. You can't find somebody who has that conviction going to smoke after he has made a confession. That brings us to confession. Again, you have the con, which is thoroughly. You have the shun, which is a state or process. And you have the first to fess up, to admit. So, having, having been thoroughly conquered by that argument, I now thoroughly admit that I'm a sinner. That's confession. So, what you are saying with your mouth is congruent with what has taken place in your heart. If there hasn't been a heart conviction, your confession is lame, is invalid, is indeed false. So, a confession was arise from a conviction. That conviction itself is because you heard the word of God that said to you, that the way you are living, you are a sinner. And that the only way out of your sin is through Jesus Christ, who has paid the price for your sin. If you believe that, then you make that confession. As a result of your confession, you now have what is called a conversion. Again, we have the word con, which is thoroughly. We have shun, which is a state or process. And we have the verb to convert, which is a complete turnaround. So when we talk of conversion, we are talking of a thorough turning around such that you are not going back to where you came from. That is the process. But it begins with hearing the word of God. God gives the gift of faith upon our hearing the word of faith or the word of God. The gift of faith is given to only those who take a hold of it. Let's look at Titus chapter 2 and I want to draw some things out there. And I'm going to read verse 11 and verse 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But not all men have taken that gift. Because not all men have faith. So even though God has given the gift of faith, not all men have received that gift. Not all men have accepted that gift. Not all men have welcomed that gift. And until they welcome that gift, they will not be saved. And then he goes on to say, This Grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared to all men teaches us that denying godliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. But are we? So even though salvation has appeared to all men, not all men have received it. Not all men have accepted it. And even those who claim to have accepted it have not lived by it. So therein is the fallacy that they have accepted it. Because we still see a whole load of worldliness and ungodliness in the church today. We don't see sobriety. We don't see people living a sober life. 
We don't see righteousness. We don't see godliness in the church. Is it not a pity that politicians can use religion and people who say they are people of faith can be sold by politicians using religion? May the Lord have mercy on our poor souls. So going back to Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Without the word, you will not be able to receive the gift of faith. Even if it were thrust in front of you and pinned to your apron sleeves, you wouldn't be able to accept it. So let's look at it. Romans 10, 17 again. New King James says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It seems simplistic. So we're going to look at three versions of the Bible and try and explain what it says. In the easy to read version, it says, So faith comes from hearing the good news, the good news of salvation now. And people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ. Christ is the message. Christ is the good news. The good news is not that you are going to be rich. The good is not that you are going to have a house. No, the good news is Christ has paid the price for the sins of mankind and therefore has made it possible for mankind to have fellowship, a relationship with God and be saved eternally in heaven. That is the good news. This talk about owning cars, that's not the good news. That is why you don't see faith. People can steal to own that car that they were preaching to, that they will get. People can cheat, can lie, can falsify figures to get those things because it has nothing to do with Christ. If it has to do with Christ, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gave to mankind, and so on and so forth, that is the good news. That was what the Gentiles of those days rejoiced about. Before then, when they went to a Jewish assembly, they either had to go circumcised. And a lot of times, they went there and listened and listened and listened and wanted to be convinced that they needed to be circumcised to be part of this religion. So a lot of them just went there to listen, not to be saved. Then they heard a message that says, it is not circumcision that God is interested in. God is interested in the heart because the problem of mankind is sin in the heart and that that sin has been dealt with by Christ. That if people accept Christ, that sin is purged out of their lives and they can live apart from sin. They rejoice. They said, wow, you mean we can actually serve this God? We can actually have fellowship with this God? We can have relationship with this God without circumcision? So the real issue is sin? It's not an issue of circumcision? They said, yes. They said, please, lead us to this God. So there was envy on the part of the Jews, but joy on the part of the Gentiles, the so-called infidels. The Good News translation says, so then faith comes through the message and the message comes through preaching Christ. I want us to know this definition. Any message that is not preaching Christ is not going to build faith in you. Indeed, it's going to make you worldlier and ungodlier. That's what it's going to do. So it is the message of Christ, the message of the preaching of Christ that brings about that faith. When you hear it being preached, when you open up your heart to that message, faith arises within you. In the message translation, the Bible says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. What he's saying is, you can't trust someone you know nothing about. So you need to listen. And what you are listening to has to be the message about Christ, the message of Christ, the message from Christ. Otherwise, what you are listening to is vain. A lot of people go to church Sundays and other days of the week to listen to messages that have nothing to do with Christ. That's why we don't see faith in the church. You know, sometimes when I read Luke chapter 18 verse 8, where the Lord said, however, when the Son of Man shall return, shall he find faith? I used to wonder why is the Lord saying that? Then I realized that indeed, shall he find faith? Is there faith? Just listen to what comes out of many of our pulpits. Motivational speeches, things that will 
cause men to be excited, emotional talk, nothing that strikes the heart at the core of the issue. Sin, nothing. We are mollycoddling people who are living in sin. We are pardoning their sins. When God views sin with severity, might I remind you that when Achan stole that Babylonish garment and some pieces of silver and hid it in his camp, that God said that the whole nation had sinned because one man sinned. And because that one man sinned, Israel could not be victorious over a tiny nation like Ai. In fact, they lost the 36 in that battle. Joshua laid on his face. God came and told him, get up, what are you lying down for? There is sin in the camp. Go and deal with the sin. And God told him what to do. Painstakingly to fish out the sin. And when the sinner was found, they stoned him and killed him. Not only him, his children, his household, his animals, his tent, everything put there. Stoned to death and laid down as a heap because he took an accustomed. That's the severity of the punishment of God. Many of us don't understand it. But when you hear a message of Christ, a message about Christ, a message from Christ, you get to see raw a picture of the severity of the judgment of God, punishment of God upon sin. Adam and Eve might have thought that God was joking and Satan indeed made them feel that God was joking. But when God showed the severity of his punishment upon them, they knew that he wasn't joking. Beloved, I want to warn us. Let us stop going to places where we are hearing strange things called a word from the Lord. You better hear the word that deals with sin in your life. So the source of our faith is the word of God. A message about Christ. A message from Christ. A message of what Christ did on the cross at Calvary for you and I. It's good to hear about the miracles of God. But I tell you, the best miracle that can happen to you is the salvation of your soul. With that one miracle, several other miracles will follow. Let's stop going to these places where they are merchandising miracles. If you are born again, you are a miracle. An ongoing miracle, an ongoing work in your life. You're not going to get rich overnight. You may never even get rich. But you'll be so clean and clear from sin that when somebody offers you money that is wrong, you will avoid it. When the opportunity... Let me use that expression. To rape somebody comes, you will dismiss it instantly and throw it out of your heart. Why? Because you have been brought to the place where you hate sin as God hates sin. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and speaking of all those who come under Christ. We must love righteousness. We must hate Iniquity. It's not enough to just love righteousness. You must also hate iniquity. Then God will bring his anointing. The anointing of God is the Holy Spirit around us. We will have the Holy Spirit with us. But you cannot be living in sin and be speaking of the anointing. How did it get to your mouth? How, what is it doing in your, on your lips? It has no place there because they don't mix. In John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, the Bible tells us, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. There was not anything made that was made without Him. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. Darkness cannot repel it. Darkness cannot overwhelm it. Darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness cannot conquer it. The word of God that is the source of faith is the written word and the person called the word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the person called the word. His words are words of faith. They are a veritable source of faith for us. But his words have been documented in what we call the Bible. You see, the Bible is not a book for politicians to be branding about and saying they are Christians. No, that's not what the Bible is meant for. The Bible is a document meant for those who have surrendered their lives to Christ. 
where God begins to give them the origin of sin and how they can get out of sin and begin to live a righteous life. That is what the Bible is meant. The Bible is not there for us to merchandise with and be telling people to come for miracles and all kinds of things, reading from the Bible. No. Many pastors have become Christian scientists going over to the Bible and trying to replicate what they have read in the Bible. That's Christian science. We're trying to replicate an experiment that happened. So we read the notes on that experiment and say, let's go and repeat it somewhere else. God is a God who does things new every time. The way he saved Saul is not the way he saved me. It's not the way he saved you or saved other people or will save other people. Each person has a unique testimony of how God brought salvation to him. A man once came to a church where I was pastoring. We were about to end the service. I think it was two or three minutes to the end of the message. He just walked in. And we gave the altar call if you want to give your life to God. He was the first person in front. And we wondered what happened. After the service, we asked him. He said, what happened? He said he was sleeping at home. That God woke him up and told him to go to that church now and go and surrender his life. At least as at the time, he was a standing Christian. So I've seen different testimonies of how God saves people. But it is the written word that matters. As the word of God is preached, God releases the gift of faith to those who are listening. I'm not talking about casual listeners. I'm talking of attentive and intentional listeners, not accidental listeners, who will take the word of God to heart. He will release faith and they will be saved. We have a practical example in Acts chapter 14. When Paul was preaching, I read verse 8 to verse 10. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Faith was there. So the altar call we make is because of faith in the lives of people as they are listening to say, Come if you want to give your life to Christ. And then a few people come. Oh, you know some people who just come out out of emotion. But there are one or two who come out deep in their hearts and they are converted. The faith that keeps you with God from the get-go is that gift that God gives you upon your hearing the word. Of God. After Jesus was born, Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, her testimonies about him, the Bible says she kept it in her heart. Then at 12, he said something about, should I not be about my father's business? She kept it in her heart. Then in John chapter 2, when he went for the wedding at Cana in Galilee, the Bible says they had no wine. She went to Jesus. Son, they have no wine. He said, what has that to do with me? It's not yet my time. Based on what she had heard about him from when he was a baby till that time, she went to the servant and said, go and meet him. Whatever he says to you, do it. She had faith because she had heard a lot about that son, about that, now that man. He said, that woman said, I will come and see you, whatever you say you do. He said, okay, go and put water inside those pots. And they went and fetched water and filled the pots with water. He said, I draw. They took a cup, go and give it to the MC. It's very interesting that not one of them said, you want them to slap me. They took the water to the MC. It's the MC who said. This is the best one. How did you do it to save the bed? Because in those days, when they want to get married, marriage lasts for seven days. So the wine is fresh on day one. On day two, it starts fermenting. By day seven, it is horrible. It is alcohol. But for the man, he was tasting and said, this is as if they just brought the wine today to the fresh wine. I know many people say Jesus turned water into wine. So it means that you can know that is non-alcoholic wine. It has not fermented as fresh wine. That was what made the master of ceremony to exclaim and say, ah, where did you get this fresh wine from? The Bible says that was the beginning of miracles, the life of Jesus Christ. Why? Because his mother kept it in her heart, the things that she was hearing. 
you and I must store the word of God in our hearts. At the appropriate time, it will become useful in our work with God as we put our trust in him. However, a lot of caution, we must be careful what we call the word of God. The word of God is not a motivational speech. It is not an interpretation of the imagination of men's hearts. No, it is the word of God, true and simple, as documented in the Bible. You see, God has given us the Bible as the means by which he would speak to us in written form and by which when somebody says, Thus says the Lord, we can prove or disprove whether he's speaking from God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I read verse 20 and verse 21. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. The Bible will interpret itself. You cannot give an interpretation that is not supported in the Bible and say that's an interpretation. It's not. I hear people writing books about how to interpret dreams. And I'm wondering, where are these people coming from? If God gives you a dream, he will give you the interpretation. You go and talk to him. Do the work. Let's stop being lazy Christian. You have a dream, then you run to a man of God. Hey, I had this dream. Hey, what does it mean? Is he an interpreter of dreams? Can you not be an interpreter of dreams? Why don't you use that faith and talk to God about it? Say, Lord, this dream that you, that you are speaking to me about, what is it? Sometimes you will have that dream. You go and talk to God say, forget it. I didn't give you a dream. That's from Satan or that's from your mind. You were thinking of this and that's how it came about. So let's check with God and we'll be amazed what the Lord will say to us. In verse 21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is not something you think of. It is speaking the word of God. For example, if I speak into a microphone, my voice will appear through the speakers. Is it the speakers that speaking or me that speaking? So for somebody to go and be romancing the speaker and be telling the speaker, speak to me the word of God, that fellow must be crazy. In the same way, you cannot go to a man and say, man of God prophesy. Is that how they prophesy? Anybody who is going to prophesy, when you got man of God prophesy and say, drop money out, my mouth will be loosened. You have found a criminal. Is a criminal fleecing you of money. That's not how God speaks. God does not speak casually. does not speak indecently. You are a sinner and you say you want to hear God speak. The only message you are going to hear from God is not that you'll be rich. What you are going to hear from God is go and break off your sin with righteousness. And then come to me. Remember the young rich ruler who went to the Lord and was saying, I have observed all commandments. What else do I lack? And Jesus said, this wealth that you have, it's going to kill you. Go and give it out to the poor and then come and follow me. The man left because he was angry. But the Bible says the Lord Jesus loved him. But he couldn't leave off the money. There are many people like that. And we want to mollycoddle them in the church. You may have wealth, but that wealth doesn't do you anything after this world. I've seen many people who have died and left huge investments and gone to the beyond. Whether they went to God or they went to hell, we don't know. We must be careful where we are getting the source of our information from. I use that expression because faith is information about God. It's information about God's doings. It's information about God's dealings. We live in a world today where people are buying into fake news. Switch on to social media, you see all kinds of things. There's photoshopping, there's video shopping. There are all kinds of things taking place. And we are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Even so-called world leaders are engaging in conspiracy theories and people are buying it. That is not the word of God. The word of a president is not the word of God. People used to say, the voice of the people is the voice of God. That's not true. The voice of God is the voice of God. And the voice of the people is the voice of the people. Let's not mix things up. In 1 John chapter 4, from verse 1 to 6, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, 
whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe every spirit that is speaking to you. When we say spirit now, it's talking of the spirit that is operating within that man. A manipulative spirit is not the spirit of God. A proud and arrogant spirit is not the spirit of God. A boastful spirit is not the spirit of God. A lying spirit is not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is called the Holy. It's holy. It's the Holy Spirit. Everything it does is holy. Even the Holy Spirit says, test me. Test that it is me. Test the holiness of the spirit or otherwise. How a man who is in a second marriage while his first wife is alive has divorced her and has married another one stands on the pulpit to preach, I can never understand it. Is that man going to pick the Bible and say that there is no divorce in Christian marriage? He can't. If he does, he's a hypocrite. What will he counsel people who want to separate from their wives? Will he tell them to stay? You say, well, that's how I have to leave. You have to leave. So what he is doing with the Bible, I don't understand. Because the word of God makes it clear that you cannot divorce your wife. And that if you were to divorce, you are to stay unmarried. Otherwise, you return back to yourselves. That's the word of God. So I can't understand these things that we are seeing today. Test these spirits. You just don't go to a place and start listening to somebody without knowing anything about the man. In verse 3, it says, by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Because at that time, there were people who contend that he has not yet come, he has not yet come. Say, no, if you say he has not come, then forget it. That's not the spirit of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Antichrist means against Christ, but is also the personification of a man of sin, a son of perdition. But that spirit is at work today. It's a spirit that is contrary to Christ. Everything that Christ stands for, it stands contrary to it. And there are people standing on pulpits saying they are preaching and they are walking by that spirit. The Bible is saying, be careful, test the spirits. It is time for us to start testing fruit. God is not interested in leaves. Many preachers, many exhorters, many people who are talking, what they are doing is leaves. God is interested in fruit, and so must a child of God be. Test the fruit of that man. Is he saved? Is he sanctified? Does he have one wife? Is he greedy for filthy locker? These are things that you should test, not what he's saying. Oh, I agree that God can speak through an unbeliever. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be mature to understand that. If you're a child, no, you won't hear that. So you must test fruit because the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit that is contrary to Christ, is at work. The goal of this spirit is to divert attention from Christ unto something else. You have got little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. Note that the world is hearing them. They are making sense to the world, but not to children of God. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In Philippians, Paul spoke about these men. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. You cannot take the word of God from such a person. All he talks about is money, 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 money. And then he tells you he wants to build a church. He's building an empire for his own glory. God did not send him to do that. We must be careful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 to 29, the Bible says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you have a psalm, 
have a teaching, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an interpretation. But let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. This is where I'm coming to. When somebody speaks the word of God to you, judge. How? Go to the word of God yourself. Seek the counsel of the spirit of God and say, Lord, is this interpretation correct? In those days when they did church, it was not like we have today. Everybody came prepared. Somebody can raise a song. Another person can begin to speak in tongues. Somebody else will interpret. But if there's no interpreter, they keep silent. And when you have a message from God, speak it as an oracle of God. As you are speaking it, let others sitting back down there judge whether you're speaking from God or not. So don't let anybody manipulate you or get you to the place where they say to you, I am speaking from God and you're saying it's not from God. Let me show you what the word of God can do in your life. In Psalm 19, I'm just going to run through this. I'm trusting God that the Holy Spirit will put it in us because we are running out of time. Psalm 19 from verse 7 to 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This is what the word of God does through faith. It quickens us, converts our souls through faith. It gives us wisdom. The statutes of the Lord is also the word of God. It is right, rejoicing. It makes the heart to be glad. It's not the words of emotion that we're all jumping up. No, even in chastening, it makes us glad. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It opens your eyes to see what God is saying, not what a man is saying. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired a day than gold, yea, than fine gold. The word of God is more than money. It's the word of God more than money. It's not money. Sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. That is the true value of the word. Let me read Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 in the Living Bible. It says, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. That's the word of God. How can you be hearing a message that is making you to go and steal money so that you can pay tithe? That's not the word of God. That's not the word of Christ. It doesn't bring faith. It causes something else. In verse 17, it says, It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. How can we be keeping malice? I've heard some pastors, because somebody left their church, they say, delete his name from your phone. Nobody should call that brother again. Not because he sinned, because he left your church, seeing that you are manipulating people. And you are now trying to get people to take vengeance. Let me conclude. The word of God holds the key to faith. Without the word of God, you have no faith. Without the word of God, we will not be able to receive the gift of faith from God. Each time, God wants to give us that gift of faith through his word. But when we go to a church where they are not preaching the word, we can't receive faith. We can't be saved. We can only come through an emotional thing. I say we have given our life to Christ, but we are back to where we were. Partly because we ourselves were not listening with rapt attention and our hearts are not ready to receive the word of God. We still have many things disturbing us. He says, by it, we know all that we need to know about God and his dealings is in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation tells you everything. You don't need to bring any other book. The word of God, this Bible is like a letter or a manual. Once you become born again, it's like going for employment. 
Once you get the employment, they give you a man and say, go and study this man. This is how we operate here. You are born again, they give you the Bible. Go and start reading the Bible. You say, where do I start from? Start from Genesis. God will speak to you through any page that you read. Start reading it, God will speak to you. It's a letter that God has written to you. Indeed, it's a love letter. He's telling you about himself. I once watched a film where a man was engaging a pilot. And he said to the pilot that people say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He said, me, for a tooth, I take a head. For an eye, I take a life. He said, when people saw that I'm serious about it, they keep their distance far away from my mouth. When God said an eye for an eye, what was God intending? That we should be cutting people's eyes? No, he said, keep away from other people's eyes. If you don't want to lose your eye, why do you want to cut off somebody's eyes? We need to know God. We don't know him. It's in the pages of the Bible that you begin to come across God when you, you know that God is passionate against sin. You won't toy with it. When you know that God wants you to live, you will do everything to live. He said in Ezekiel chapter 18 or thereabout. He said, why, why are you going to die? Do you think I have pleasure in the death of anyone? I don't have pleasure in him. Why don't you leave any other reference to God that is not in agreement with the written word of God? It does not build faith. Any book that you read that is not in agreement with the Bible, no matter how exciting it can be, doesn't build faith. It breeds confusion, unbelief, fear, doubt, and so on and so forth. A friend of mine once gave me a book written by a revered man of God. And in that book, the man was writing about justification for divorce and remarriage. After reading the book, I called my friend and told him, I said, there's no justification under heaven for divorce and remarriage. That book may have seemed a fantastic book, but it was not the word of God. It may have been written by a revered man, but it was not the word of God. Why? It contradicted the Bible at every turn. It was the understanding of a man trying to get people who he thought were in bad marriages out of those bad marriages. What we should be teaching people is look before you look. Pray very well. Be sure that God is asking you to marry this person before you marry the person. This is not a talk on marriage, but I'm trying to use it as an example to tell you about how many people are reading books that are in disagreement with the Bible and are going for the books rather than the Bible. I've seen some people write about how God wants to make you rich. God wants you to be rich. That's not true. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be righteous. God wants you to be humble. God wants you to love. He can make you rich, but his goal is not to make you rich. His goal is to make you like him so that you can show kindness even to the worst of your enemies so that you can be like him. Perfect. Until next week, God bless you.